Eric Thiel with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities podcast. We are here. It is uh, the May timeframe, and we have a beautiful spring day. I'm here today in the studio with... Uh, my name is Ellie Mungeli. I'm a DevOps engineer, currently a contractor at JPL NASA. And I'm also the leader of an open source organization called Devopracy that works on building infrastructure code for virtual nations, virtual democracies. Welcome. And I am Michael Cavett with Cavett Associates. I'm an advisor and an organizational consultant. I specialize in helping leaders think. And Andrew. I'm Andrew Sengel with Scenario Technology. I'm a software developer working on new ways to create interactive narrative training and experience design. So it's all good stuff. And I'm Eric Veal. I'm, uh, I've been in the Seattle area for about 20 years, and I'm basically a product developer and um, just love software and love talking about business. So uh, today the topic is managing customer service. And um, the, the basically the kind of subparts in, in this area are developing a strategy to manage customer service, uh, actually managing customer service as it, as it runs, and then measuring it. And uh, the first question that we agreed that we were going to start with is, is customer service dead? And if so, why? So uh, anybody can kind of jump in and, and offer their thoughts on if it is dead, why? Well, has customer service been killed by some of the new generation of businesses that are emerging? What jumped to my mind when we started on this topic was um, the story of Venmo which is an online application. It's an app for paying people, kind of a you know new competitor to PayPal. And there was a story that came out uh, after Venmo's launch about how easy it was to get scammed on Venmo, how people had been solicited for payments that uh, turned out to be ripoffs. And Venmo Corporate eventually had to release a response to this, and their response was on the lines of, we're sorry this happened to you, but there is no way Venmo can remedy this. You should have been more careful, which kind of reflects the customer service or lack thereof that you see from a lot of the, you know, these new digital economy businesses it's in many cases. It's very modern, I think, in the sense that it's like we're looking away from the brick and mortar thing, and the the... What it costs to do an online business to just kick up a startup is nothing like what it used to be to run a material store, right? And so in that sense, reputation, they can just flip their name brand and put up a new website and run like an entirely new business almost overnight with the same code. That wasn't possible in the days where you actually had to go to a store. So like reputation in the digital world is hugely different and that affects service. This is nothing new. Um, I uh, moved into the financial services in 1979, and by the early 80s, I was getting solicitations to pay for my Yellow Pages ads that were all fallacious. They were all uh, essentially people trying to get me to pay them money 
for something they weren't delivering. So this isn't anything new. It just moved online, and we need to be careful. Um, that's why I think that customer service can't be dead, because how am I going to interact with any company where I don't have an opportunity to either have more information about using the product or service or solving the problems. Well, from a business standpoint, customer service is something people see to impinge on scalability. That's one of the big questions in any model, does it scale? And people don't scale, as many people have emphatically told me. So that's where the question comes in. Obviously, if you're Google, you can't afford to provide service to, uh, you know, you can't provide to human Q&A to everyone who uses your search engine. So, well, and problematically, we've had this issue, too, where service, what we expect from service today is not what service was in the past. Like, in many cases, we prefer the convenience of automated service that is always available to actually dealing with a human, especially in cases where the human themselves is scripted or automated. We run into that as kind of like this ethical problem that we came in at the last podcast where we started talking about when is it appropriate to have a servant in a democracy. Right. And that we're un- uncomfortable working with people that look like they're in a servant role and that we we are getting better and better at delivering service through technology. And uh, I guess I, I think of a modern thing being kind of the bot type of approach. I, I haven't had great experiences or feel like... Uh, service through a bot is great or anything like that, but it's at least automated. What about an ATM? I mean, we go back to like, do you miss, do you trust the ATM more or less than the cashiers? Because where trust and reputation is part of it, do we trust technology less? I mean, I was recently reading an article on fintech, like financial technologies online, and surprisingly, most people were comfortable with the level of trust of doing financial transactions online at this time. Yeah, and I I think there's I think this is that point about strategy. So I think that there is a strategy where customer service is dead. That can be the customer service strategy is it's dead. Our service is what it is. The terms and conditions are extremely clear. You can use it at your own risk. Uh, buyer beware. And so I I do believe that that there is to, maybe to Michael's point has always been a customer service is dead strategy. <laughs> and that you, you're you're just going to buy it at your own risk. And uh, and then I think there's uh, obviously at the flip side of that, there's where customer service isn't dead. I heard a radio ad just the other day for a bank that literally differentiated itself on having tellers and on having personalized, basically your own personal teller. So there's other scenarios. I think it's just a competitive landscape, basically, where you decide if you want to have customer service. It's basically the degree to which you want to have customer service be a key part of your strategy or is customer service literally scoped out for the sake of other values? Yeah, well, against a backdrop of ubiquitous automation, a personalized approach is a selling strategy. Yeah. And has always been, I think, in, in other ways. I guess maybe let's try to go back and say if I were some somebody that was a hunter and selling meat a thousand years ago... <laughs> I my customer service what what would a what would a high touch customer service strategy look like 
before pre-tech, essentially. Well, I'm kind of curious about that, too. But in the question, particularly, we've, we've been discussing finance. What's the division of the people that prefer one kind of... Who are those two channels? The people who need face-to-face, do they have more money? Is it like a demographic of a particular kind? Do you know? I don't uh, think it's the amount. It's uh, how much engagement you want. So when I was running my asset management business early on, I realized I needed to distinguish uh, between the do-it-yourselfers and the people who wanted somebody to take care of things for them. And one is an educational uh, situation and a, um, a guide, um, guiding them in the planning, in uh uh, making the decisions that they're going to go execute. And then there are other people who, for whatever reason, are saying, uh, fine, uh, help me uh, make my decision, and then I want you to go do all the work. And so the difference between uh, creating a, a fine meal at home because you've gone and bought all the ingredients and going to a restaurant. Do we understand that? Is, do we understand that or is there a way to understand that in the context of when we're making a product to understand our strategy, like our users, or do you think it always breaks down that any product will have those two kinds of people? I, I think that any population will have those two kinds of people where, and maybe any, any population, so this is actually part of the strategy conversation is segmentation and tiers, is ob, one business uh, could both offer the basic support or no support, and then you might have to pay, for example, more to get better customer service. So I think it is probably a basic need. I'm sure there's um, probably like commodity services where you, you may not need, uh, the, you might, need to not, might not need to call the help desk for a packet of sugar, for example. You're, you're fairly familiar with how to use that product, whereas complex technology, infrastructure, etc., you don't really expect to um, buy a battleship or something like that and never talk to somebody during that transaction. Well, the real segmentation you're talking about there is one of significance. How significant is the product or service to the person buying? So it's the higher significance experiences that people, I think, want to personalize more. And um, in, many, in many cases, it is a matter of price point or you know income level, but not always. So, you know, if it's a significant experience or product to somebody, they're probably going to want to talk to someone about it. And I think that's what it boils down to. So is your product something that people attach significance to? And if so, you know, what's the demographic that sees as really significant versus just incidental? I, I think there's another dimension to this, which so, so far it seems like we've been talking mostly about the human interaction. We're defining customer service through the lens of humans and and we're saying customer service is only a thing or something that somebody would experience if it was experienced through humans but i think that that uh paradigm definitely shifts with websites that you can go self-help and shop online that changes it so at a, at a higher level you have the customer experience and and what the customer goes through where there there may be parts of it that are human experiences and that they interact with other humans, but then now we're layering on more and more technology where even human-like experiences where you're chatting with something isn't necessarily a human, and it's been programmed 
as a bot, for example, that has human-like characteristics. So I think over time, the the need to have humans per se in processes diminishes. It would seem like it would have to. Is there agreement on that? Uh, we go into this conversation again about virtual assistants, where humans may diminish, but humanity does not, in the sense that people still have a very human, sometimes it's very effective to have a human interface. And so virtual assistants are becoming more popular in terms of like using your phone or using different kinds of tools because of the ease of use. You're used to just talking to an interface and talking to it conversationally if you have a human to do the service. Yeah, so yeah. it seems to me like you have you have these two components in building your customer service strategy. You have no service is maybe default. You start with let's assume we don't need this and we had a, a question come up at lunch which is how how uh, early in the process for a startup would you need to consider customer service and we pretty much agreed pretty early but it's pretty rare uh, I think in many business thought processes, kind of startups, that they don't consider that aspect, and they just build and they're product heavy, and it's all about the product experience and getting the product to the market, and the whole thought process of uh, managing w the problem that you've created is a, is an afterthought or something that you need to do just in time rather than pr preemptively. The I'd like to shift the conversation um, to the strategic level. That was part of the frame for um, this phase of the discussion today. And I think that a lot of organizations do not think, uh, whether they're a startup or others, to build uh, into their vision and mission what that customer service experience is going to be like. Whether we're using virtual or we are uh, having uh, an actual human on the phone whose accent may allow us or not to understand <laughs> them. Um, it's, uh, my uh, uh, view is that we need to have that be part of that strategic planning, mission, mission vision, and long-term strategies. So do we think of it, do we start that conversation or thought process by asking about our failure modes? So if we, if we do have an orientation towards um, just thinking about the happy path or the critical path to get to customers and all that stuff, and you're making a bunch of assumptions about creating excitement and delighted customers and so forth, it seems like there's a black hat that somebody has to wear at some point. To your point, Michael, I think the management team pretty early on to ask what are our possible failure modes what are possible complaints what are possible issues how do we deal with the the stuff that we're not thinking about we need to invest in a capability for our business that is customer service that might need to be fairly big depending on how bad we are well you uh, need to be thinking about what the ratchet is what's going to keep your gear from moving backwards because when you manufacture whatever it is, your assembly, you aren't going to want to be able to have that um, affect the outcome. Max Gunter does a really good uh, job of discussing this in his book, The Luck Factor. So that that discussion in terms of writing scenarios for the business 
needs to be part of the early uh, process. I was in a discussion yesterday with a startup. We were talking about uh, pro forma budgets in terms of you know, what is the finance going to look like over the next five years. And I asked, what's your story? Uh, meaning what scenario are you using to drive your numbers or derive your numbers? And the person said to me, story. <laughs> um, and so we had a long conversation about writing multiple scenarios, selecting one that's reasonable, and you certainly want failure scenarios. So I actually manage this. It's funny because I, I, as an infrastructure engineer, I'm putting this into my head in some ways in the way that I build infrastructure, and I refer to it as repair-driven system design, meaning that as you build systems, you explicitly program around the areas where you know you're going to have problems, and that this is a better way to build infrastructure, and you also build tools to fix those problems at the same time that you're building the infrastructure. And so it's maybe not like when we say a story, a story can be a very generalist thing. You don't want to be overly invested in a particular vision too far down the road. But I think that one of the things that is important in understanding like the failure plan, as you've said, is that while we're building our systems or while we're building our products or providing our services, we need to think about where our failure is and grab onto that vulnerability you know, and, and be explicit in the way that we're going to repair or handle that so that going forward, our system is more robust. And that ties into customer service, would you say, by then anticipating the failure as it is experienced by the customer and how to uh, guide them through that situation? Yeah, because we, we, yeah, we've seen already that like some, a few high profile failures, as in the example that you gave with the payment provider, a few high profile failures can just like wipe out a company, really. I mean, what we need to see if a company is going to survive that, and it's funny because we're in, we're in Seattle, so there's lots of Uber rights going on, around, right? And people who are working for Uber right now is like, what are they thinking in their company? But one of them said to me, like, yeah, we've been through it and we're working on it now and we're trying to just recover and move forward. And how well a company takes the bull by the horns and does some kind of transparent remediation in terms of customer service disasters, like the United Airlines thing, you know, that's also a really important, did, did they have a plan in place? And I agree. And so the more that we've, the more thinking that we've done about that, the strategies we have in place, uh, the more effective our customer service is going to be. Yeah, that's good. Okay, great. So we're, we're kind of, um, so that first conversation was basically kind of a kickoff where we're answered. Are there any uh, final thoughts on is customer service dead or, <laughs> or strategic related concerns for developing a customer service strategy? It's worth asking if you can emulate humanity through a computer program, is that still the same customer service that existed before? Yeah. And if if you create, I mean, we've all had experiences with these phone robots and other things which are not very convincing. If it becomes convincing, it seems that would encourage the actual humans involved in providing services to completely remove themselves from the sphere of customer interaction. Because once, if you can create a convincing human simulacrum, 
then it would be quite tempting for the people who might otherwise have to interact with customers to just pull back entirely. Yeah. And what's that going to bring about? Yeah. So I actually deal with this full, I, I deal with this a lot in my work is just how do you build trust in automation? Like there's so much automation phobia going on right now that, you know, people are hostile to the idea of, of robots like taking over jobs. And yet at the same time, we know that in some cases like ATMs, it's perfectly reasonable to have a robot. Is there some way that we can explicitly and deliberately build trust in automated systems? The other thing is uh, that we haven't talked about is the view from the customer's side I, for example, as a customer, am somewhat ambivalent about how my problem gets solved or my question gets answered, whether it's somebody in India, Mexico, or a computer program, as long as the issue that I'm trying to resolve is resolved. Makes sense. So today, this is Eric Veal with the Abstract Capable Communities Podcast. Today, our conversation is about managing customer service, and we'll be right back. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at abstract.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to abstract.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com, S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com.